crew. Great to see you on the stage this morning. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you all. How are you feeling? <laughs> Scared the life out of me. <laughs> Thought you were all gone. I just... <laughs> just wait for my heart to start again. That would be... <laughs> you all right? I feel good. Good. I feel good. Oh, man. I, I've had one of those weeks where you just feel like you're doing God's work. Uh, I've had the privilege of, of, of praying through houses this week with Pam, uh, praying through West, uh, West Homes, Rest Homes uh, and, and, and some rooms after some other people have gone home to be, to be with Jesus right before Christmas, um, you know, which is it's, it's hard for the families, absolutely. Um, but this particular place, you know, I was looking around the room as I was praying, I go, man, that guy's about to have the best Christmas ever. And so there's a sense, you know, I got to officiate my first wedding of the season yesterday. And, you, get, you know, we've been talking this, this week uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, we started Vision Sunday, which has really turned into Vision Month. Um, you know, the goal being I want to name 2023 before 2023 names itself. And we looked at the Collins Dictionary Word of the Year being permacrisis, the Oxford Dictionary being goblin mode, which is about selfishness and self-indulgence. But I believe 2023 is the year of engagement. And as we've been challenging ourselves with what does it look like to re-engage with discipleship, to re-engage with fellowship, to re-engage with the mission of God, uh, this has been a week for me where I feel like I've engaged in all three of those things. And I tell you, there's an excitement uh, and I just share that from personal testimony this morning as an encouragement to you. When you get to the, you know, sometimes you go through weeks and you go, did I engage with discipleship? Oh, did I engage with fellowship? Oh, well, yeah, I did a few things. Did I? But there's this kind of excitement when you get to the end and you go, man, I felt so engaged with those three things this week. Discipleship, fellowship, and the mission of God that just fills your bucket. And so, yes, this week has been a physically demanding week, but it has been a spiritually empowering week for me. And um, I, I love this time of year. I dislike all of the commercialism that surrounds it, but I love the reason and the purpose. Uh, and that is that we get to remind ourselves that God is with us. And I just, I think that if we lived with that mindset more often, our community would be transformed. God is with us. God is with us. And so I'm kind of continuing this morning this theme uh, of uh, engagement. Again, as I say, December's turned into Vision Month in many ways. Uh, but I also want to just do a quick plug uh, for next Sunday. Next Sunday, Christmas Day, we are meeting here. We're doing our service at the same time, 10 o'clock. We thought we'd make it nice and simple. People are used to church at 10 on a Sunday. Let's just, like, we've got... You know, normally you've got like a service on a Friday and it's, we're like, it's all in one this year. It's like, thank you, Jesus. It just all fits neatly together. Uh, so we're going to be here at 10 o'clock. Our theme for Christmas Day is come and behold him. And, and, and I really, uh, I'm going to unpack that. What does it mean to behold him? Uh, it'll be, it'll be um, there's something for everybody. It would be a great service to invite your friends or family to. If you've got family coming for lunch, just tell them to come to church first. 
And so bring people along as we embark on this goal, this journey of come and behold him. Isn't he cute? Wanders around with his guitar. and I know, very distracted. I may as well not even preach this morning. But this morning, my sermon is titled this, Engage with the Spirit. Engage with the Spirit. And I want to start right from the outset with a passage of Scripture. I want to lay it as a foundation, and then we're going to revisit it a little bit later on. But I want to read it from the beginning. If you've got your Bibles, can you turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians, and we're going to pick it up in chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you haven't got it, uh, it will appear on the screen behind me. But I want to encourage you, there's nothing like handling a Bible. Uh, whether that's in your hand or on your device, that's still second best. There's something about holding the book. Uh, but I'm going to read this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 14. And at the very end of this, I'm going to bring it all back to Christmas, and you're going to go, oh, there it was. I wasn't sure if we were having a Christmas sermon, but it will happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 to 14 says this, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. I want to say that again. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are only discerned through the Spirit. Well, they are discerned only through the Spirit. I got my words. It means the same thing. The person without the Spirit of God, we just read that one. Did I give you, how far are we going? We're going to 14. I'm going to add two more in there. 15 and 16, just for free. The person with the Spirit, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? We have the mind of Christ. See, 
I've been reading a book over the last couple of weeks. I got it for my birthday. Uh, it's called Intensity, and it is written by Pep Linders, who is the assistant manager of the Liverpool Football Club. And uh, I know, I, just bear with me, all right? And, and so there's a lot of things that have come out of this book early on that, you know, in training a football team uh, that I go, actually, there's a lot of relevance to this between, like, how we do church. The first chapter that I was reading was all about uh, training as our transfer. And so when other clubs spend all this big money on buying in superstar players, we train people up. We train people. We, you know, and is that not message, the message of Jesus? Jesus did not go looking for superstars. He went looking for ordinary men and women and said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And one of the things that they said about these superstars that are starting to be trained, some of these people who are some of the best footballers in the world, be quiet, Jason. Uh, <laughs> no, you disagree. Uh, is that is their ability to go over and over and over and over and over the basics. And we get this mentality, and some, some, some superstars get this mentality of, I'm great, I don't need... Well, no, I would submit wannabe superstars get this idea. The real superstars, the real talented players understand that what makes them talented is their continual drills, their continual practices, their continual coming back to the bread and butter of the game. I wonder how often in our Christian walk we think we've grown past the bread and butter of the game. Yeah, You hear a sermon, you hear a message, you read a devotion, and you go, I've heard that before. I know that already. You know, like, you, know, you, you imagine some of your best footballers in the world, Muhammad Salah, going, I know how to take a penalty kick. I've been doing it for the last five years. Harry Kane, well, Harry Kane doesn't know how to take a penalty, but that's neither here nor there. Um, shh, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, all right? We're just, we're just going to pitch this nice down the middle. We're not going to make jokes about other countries who suck at football. We're just... We're gonna... <laughs> and so, but it's this, you never grow beyond the basic drills, the bread and butter of the game. I want to submit to you this morning that as Christians, we never grow past the bread and the butter of our faith, which is Jesus Christ crucified, God with us. But sometimes we feel like we grow beyond it, and so we start to disengage. We start to look at things and go, that's for the new Christian. That's for the unbeliever. But I want to put something to you this morning that in its, its inception is super simple, and yet we get it so wrong. You know, you've heard, if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me say this before, that it is some of the most simple realities in our lives that we forget. And if you want proof of that, how many times have you pulled on a door that said push? <laughs> like it should make sense, and yet it doesn't matter how many, like it doesn't matter how many times you've been to that store. And so we never if, 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 look, if you can't open a door properly, <laughs> if I can't open a door properly, then I cannot ever reach a point of saying I have mastered the basics of my faith. And so this is basic, it's simple to understand, but it's difficult to master. And I want to bring us back to this reality. And it's, this, it's a simple statement, and then I'm going to unpack it. As Christians, we have to be engaged with the Spirit. Amen. And we all say amen. 
And we've read a little bit of scripture this morning, but I want to unpack, and part of it's just testimony. I just want to talk about something profound that happened this week for me, for the church, something profound that has happened in times throughout our Christian journey, and something that I think is profound in what God wants to do in 2023. In 2018, Blenheim Baptist Church, as it was known then, held a conversation cafe in this building. We sat around tables, very similar to how we did over Vision Sunday, and we gathered with the following purpose question, what would it look like to further involve the congregation in the budget forming process instead of just the budget approval process? So what would it look like if we actually went, where's our heart at and where's the heart of God for our budget, for our church? And so, you know, the church had been in this place. We'd grow in that year. We had more income that year. And we were like, oh, we've got some opportunities. What are we going to do? We had some ideas, but we didn't just want to, you know, push on a full ahead with those if they were going to be negative or have a negative impact. So we brought everybody together. And in this context, we asked four questions. What are the best uses of money you've seen, whether that's at your church or another church, within churches? Number two, in what way does the budget reflect the values of our church currently? Number three, if money wasn't an issue, what would we be doing as a church? If money wasn't an issue, what would we be doing? Uh, Number four, as a group, and then this was the interesting one because I just wanted to throw the cat among the pigeons. As a group, question four, we gave people like about 20 cutout pieces of paper with budget line items. And we put these in order from most important to least important, right? From highest, not necessarily in terms of dollar amount, but highest priority to lowest priority. And, And so... We gave them, and, and that was really interesting. I'll come to that in a minute. And question five was, what would it look like if we had a faith budget? Now, I don't actually want to talk about money this morning, but it's the principle of what God did in this moment. Because what we learned, the most interesting observation was about questions three and four. So question three, if money wasn't an issue, what would we be doing as a church? And we're all gathered around our tables, we're all talking, we're all chin-wagging, we were all dreaming together, right? And every single table, I think, put without, I think I'm right in saying every single table said something about purpose-built facilities. Purpose, you know, this, this dream of having a facility that helped the people with those mission things we're talking about, engaging with discipleship, engaging with fellowship, engaging with the mission of God. We would love to have a place of ha- that would allow us to do this. And then in question four, we gave these 20 things. And we put these in order of highest priority to lowest priority. Now, the top four were pretty much the same at every single table. Again, they were in slightly different orders, but they were all in the top four. The further down the list you got, it got a little bit muddy. But what interested me was in the bottom five of almost every single table in terms of priority of finance, priority of money, was buildings, facilities. And so what interests me is this, is is, is that... When we asked people to dream, they dreamed of facilities. When we asked people to plan, they downplayed and undervalued them. Right? That's, that's the principle I want you to get. I don't want you to get, this is not an offering fund for the building. This is, I'm not talking about the building. I'm just talking about that observation. When people were asked to dream, they dreamt about facilities. When they were asked to plan, they downplayed and understated them. Which brings us to, in 2022, Connect Help Vision Sunday here in the auditorium, sitting around tables. 
And we ask ourselves these questions. If we're naming 2023 the year of re-engagement, in what ways can we re-engage with discipleship? In what ways can we re-engage with fellowship? In what ways can we re-engage with the mission of God? And one of the beautiful answers that came out of this, at least beautiful for me, and I'm sure beautiful for you as well, it was amazing how many people around tables said something about the importance of food. I think it's because we're Baptist, right? The church of the knife and fork. But there was this mention again and again, like it came up about dinners together, lunches, shared lunches, picnics, all these kinds of things. There was this importance placed around, if we're going to re-engage with fellowship, it's going to be built around food and hospitality, which again, kind of makes sense um, because Jesus' ministry kind of did this. Think of how much of Jesus' ministry was based around food and hospitality, the feeding of the 5,000, his lunch with Zacchaeus. He goes, like, before we talk, let's eat. The Last Supper, like, he's on his last, and he goes, let's eat together. And then he establishes a meal that we get to eat as the church as often as we get to do this in remembrance of him. It's a a meal that we share together. We do it with, like, a little piece of bread and a little tiny cup. But when Jesus established a meal, Revelation finishes by saying that the goal is if I knock at the door, and if you open the door, I will come in and I will eat with you. Like, Jesus builds his whole ministry around food. Amen. I knew there was a reason I was a Christian. I knew, like, there was something in it that was just, like, designed to fill that heart-shaped hole right there. Anyway, it's Jesus. I don't know what you're thinking about. So we, we, this, this whole thing came out about food. But then, of course, we had that quarterly meeting where we talked about, like, the budget. Remember that? And like things were a little bit tight. They haven't grown this year because it's the season, right? It's the, it's the time we're in. And, and so things have been a little bit tight. And so we had this kind of budget plan that we, we submitted this budget. And so we were going to do a couple of things. Uh, a couple of our workers are going to transition some of their hours to the trust, um, which is perfectly fine because they're working in the trust anyway. And then we were going to give Sue an additional five-hour cut. And everyone sort of went, that sucks because everybody knows this building only, this operation only functions from week to week because Sue is here. Like, if... I won't go there. No, I'll just... <laughs> I was just going to go like, you know, I, I might be up here with the talkie stick, but you would miss Sue before you missed me. If both, like, you know, <laughs> it would just... That is exactly how it works. And so we were going through this whole thing and we were talking, we had this plan and it was, it was a good plan. I got nothing wrong with the plan. Um, and then we asked people before the council meeting to have a think and kind of like make some suggestions about what we could do and how that might unfold and how, you know... Not only are we approving this budget, but how are we going to strengthen ourselves for the next budget and how are we going to continue to thrive and how are we going to pivot? If if 2023 is the year of engagement, how are we going to stay engaged so we don't close the doors? You know, those little practical things. And so so we had this kind of idea. And then when we, we asked people to feedback to the council members, and we all got together as the council on Tuesday night to discuss the feedback that had come. And one of the things that had come in from a number of sources, which I'm not, I'm not bagging on the people who, who had these ideas, or that's not what I'm trying to do at all. But one of the recurring themes that came through, which when something recurs, it can start to seem like a good idea, right? And go, oh, this is a recurring thing. Maybe there's something in this. One of the recurring themes that came through is, hey, if we wanted to meet our budget, we could cut our expenses. We could cut our hospitality. We could cut some of the, the, the coffee. We don't have to do the biscuits or the lunches. We can bring all those things right back. And you, a lot of people have made this contribution. You go, this sounds really good. Yeah, okay, this is a recurring theme. We could cut some expenses around hospitality and food and all these sorts of things. Until one member of the council made an observation. Isn't it interesting that on Vision Sunday, 
We talked about re-engaging with fellowship through the power of food and hospitality, but it's one of the first things we cut out of the budget. And immediately you sort of go, well, I feel convicted and rebuked and kind of like, <laughs> hang on, push pause. I have some time, you know, you almost want to take like an hour to just go and process that. Just go, I just need to go and just, but we didn't have that. We had to, you know, but again, isn't it, isn't it interesting that in these two stories, when we're asked to dream, when we're asked to, to bring, like, what could this look like? These things come out. And then when we're asked to plan, we go, no, not that important. These two observations are confronting. See, when we were asked to dream, we value facilities. When we're asked to budget, we devalue them. When we're asked to re-engage with hospitality, uh, to re-engage, we recognize the importance of hospitality. When we're asked to budget, we devalue it. These pose an uncomfortable question, which is this. Where else do we do this in our Christian faith? (coughs) See, think about this. We dream about revival, but we devalue devotion. We dream about a marriage that serves God, but we don't like praying with our spouse. Hello. We dream about spectacular provision, but we devalue faith. And so this question is confronting because it asks this question, are we living engaged with the Spirit? Are we engaged with the Spirit? And so we had this, 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 again, one of the things that I have loved about this council model trial that we're doing, and as we come into 2023, we're going to relook at that, all of that. It's not a hill I'm prepared to die on, but there's been no wasted time because I think we have learned something as a church about being engaged with the Spirit. And so as we look at these things, see, this phenomenon is known as cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. And it's when our beliefs and our behaviors seem misaligned. See, I believe that there's an old story about a science teacher who is talking to his class and he's teaching them about the law of the pendulum. And so the student gets up. And he says, sir, do you believe in the law of the pendulum? And he goes, absolutely, it's science. He goes, okay. Can we do an experiment? Yeah, absolutely. It's a science class. I'm all for experiments. So this kid gets the, like, the largest weight he can find in the class, right? And he suspends it from the ceiling. It's a story. It doesn't matter how he does it. We did, like, right? He gets this large weight and he suspends it. And he sits his teacher on a chair. And so the law of the pendulum, let me just explain really quickly in case you didn't do physics or you failed like I did. The law of the pendulum states this. If you let a weight go with no additional force, it will never swing back beyond, like it will always do this, right? And gradually get, so so if you apply, like if you throw it, obviously, but if you just let it go and let the forces of nature, it'll do this and it'll gradually come. So this kid suspends a weight, and he sits his teacher, a science teacher, on a, and he, hold, he sits on a teacher, and he goes, sir, do you believe in the law of the pendulum? He goes, yeah, it's science. He goes, all right. He brings his weight over, and he holds it about this far from the science teacher's face, and he says, sir, do you believe in the law of the pendulum? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, <clears throat> it's science. That kid just lets it go. This pendulum flies across the room and it comes flying back. And the teacher sees this weight coming towards him and he throws himself off the chair because the teacher doesn't believe in the law of the pendulum. He teaches it as fact. 
declares it, would, would, would fight for it black and blue. But when the weight is swinging towards you, <laughs> that thing's terrifying. Maybe the kid, you know, I've been a teach, I've been a student before, you know, maybe the kid gave it a little push, you know, like just, <laughs> we've all been tempted, right? <laughs> Anywho, um, and, and so this is called cognitive dissonance. When our belief and our behavior or our core value and our higher value are separated from each other. And so we say, we believe God provides. And then we stress every time there's a need for provision. Right? Or we say that we believe that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and then constantly fear every other principality and power. It's called cognitive dissonance. Dissonance is a musical term. It means to lack harmony between notes. So, so this cognitive dissonance, what causes it and how do we address it? So, so now, in light of these stories and in light of this examination of, of how we can all acknowledge, and this, this is not about going, I know that, or this person. This is about going, we do this, right? I do this. So now let's look back at our scripture this morning from 1 Corinthians. And then I'm going to read a couple of others as well. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but it's not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it, see, let's keep in mind, who crucified the Lord of glory? Who was instrumental in that? The leaders of the church, the people who were supposed to be about the mission of God. How many people know that's a cognitive dissonance right there? <clears throat> None of the rulers, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord. But verse 9, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us. How? By his spirit. And this is the importance of being engaged with the spirit. See, if I just jump down, I'm just going to pull a few bits out of this for the sake of time. It says, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So how could you know the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God? See, it says there in verse 14, the person without the Spirit does not accept these things that they come from God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Verse 16, but we have the mind of Christ. See, here's, here's the point that I want to draw this morning before I head into these other scriptures. You are created in three parts, body, mind, and spirit. Um, you know, we, we now try to get this kind of like fourth thing people talk about, emotions. That's because emotions come out of the spirit and we don't know how to deal with the spirit, so we had to create this other thing. That's why our generation is so emotionally unhealthy because we tried to do emotional health without spiritual health without realizing it's the same thing, right? And so, so you engage. And these three things that you've been given are beautiful, 
They're created that I believe they imitate the triuneness of God, the threefold of every Baptist sermon. <clears throat> and, and so here's the thing. When we dream, so remember those statements I was talking about before. When we were asked to dream, we valued buildings. When we were asked to budget, we devalued them. When we were asked to dream, we valued hospitality. When we were asked to budget, we devalued them. This is, this is why I think when we are asked to dream, we engage the Spirit. Don't we? We engage the spirit. When we're asked to plan, we engage the mind. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Thinking Christians are good Christians. There's been a lot of damage done in the past by Christians who don't use their brain. I mean, you know, we don't name them, but you know who I'm talking about, right? Like, no one in this church, which is glorious. But see, when we dream, we dream we engage with the spirit. When we plan, we engage with the mind. What if we could learn to engage both at the same time? See, because if, if Corinthians tells us about this whole idea about there are things that are revealed by the spirit of God. Take a look at this. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 to 12. Let me read some more scriptures. The, the Bible just says it so well, I don't need to say it this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 to 12. For those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh designs. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. Have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Let's pause there. See, Paul talks about the mind is a powerful thing when it is governed by the Spirit. When it's governed by the Spirit. And yet we try to separate these two processes. We dream spiritually, we plan mentally. See, let me just keep going because like, Paul just really goes for the jugular on this one a couple of times. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 24. I'll, again, we're running out of time, so I'll paraphrase a little bit. Uh, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. He's not just going, like, he's insisting on it. That you must no longer live in the, as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He says, he, he says, the mind without the spirit is futile thinking. It's a waste of time. See, they are darkened in understanding, separated from the life of God because in the ignorance that is, is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity in fact, let me, let me put it this way. Having lost all sensitivity we, sensitivity, we have given ourselves over to sensuality so as to indulge every kind of impurity and become full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new 
in the attitude of your mind. I want to pause here because that word attitude is the Greek word pneuma. Everywhere else in Scripture, it's translated as spirit. So it says this, be made new in the spirit of your mind. The spirit of your mind. Because your mind without the spirit is futile thinking. Anybody here ever guilty of futile thinking? You ever been guilty of a little bit of futile thinking? Like you look at your budget, you look at your family, you look at your children's report cards, you, you, you look at the, the politics, you watch the news, and you just descend before you know it into futile thinking. I would like to submit that what we do in those moments is we start thinking without being governed by the Spirit. We start becoming governed by popular culture. We start becoming governed by the media. We start becoming governed by, by fear. We start whatever these things. But when we are governed by the Spirit, our thinking is not futile. When we dream, we engage with the Spirit. What would it look like if we could plan in the same way? And I believe we can, and in fact, I believe we have. I believe we've seen it time and time again. This is not one of those. We never do this. This is the, like, Mo Salah knows how to take the penalty kick. But he still practices them day after day. I believe Connect as an example is a church that engages very well with the Spirit. I still think we need to practice it every day. Yeah. See, there's nothing wrong with the mind except for when we disengage the Spirit. Watch this story in two parts. I love this. I, uh, Peter is me, right? Peter is literally my middle name. And I think possibly it's because of how much of Peter's journey I identify with. There are so many spiritual people when you read the Bible that you would love to identify with. But when I honestly examine the scriptures and I read the gospels, I go, I'm, I'm Peter. Bother. <laughs> you know, like, why couldn't I have been John who like reclined and trusts Jesus for everything? I'm, I'm Peter, right? Like I'm Peter who believes in the law of the pendulum until the weight's flying at my face. And watch this story in two parts of Peter. Matthew chapter 16. And, and watch. Here's the thing I want you to look for. I want you to look for the spirit, and I want you to look for the mind. The spirit and the mind. Matthew chapter 16. Watch this. Uh, verse 13 to 17 with the first one. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, the top of Bible class, right? Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Dropkick, like, yes, home run, penalty scored, whatever you want to call it. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Can we just pause there for a minute? Let's, let's, let's think about it this way. You didn't work this out in your mind. You didn't think this through. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. How does God reveal things? By Spirit. So here we've got Peter who aces the class question because he goes, you're the Messiah. And Jesus goes, you didn't work that out in here. You received that by the Spirit. Now, let's jump down. So that, that's, that ends in verse 17. Let's pick it up in verse 21. Just four verses later. Just four verses later. It's like Sunday afternoon, right? You've heard the sermon. You go home, you go, I'm going to crush this. 
In verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the Lord. I've never suffered at the hands of my elders. They're very good elders. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Verse 22, Peter took him aside. Peter. Peter. Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. When was the last time you rebuked Jesus? <laughs> Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke. Never, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you are a stumbling block to me. Nailed the Bible college question, right? You are a stumbling block to me. Why? Because you do not have your mind on the concerns of God, but on the concerns of men. He goes, so, so you had a revelation by your spirit, but your mind tripped you up. Because your mind was not governed by the revelation that you received just five minutes ago. Peter was blessed by revelation within the spirit and tripped up by his mind. See, the mind is incredibly powerful. It's the most powerful, one of the most powerful organs in your body. It named itself. Think about it. <laughs> it named itself. I am the brain. But the mind is at its most powerful when it's led by the spirit. When it's led by the Spirit. See, one of the most powerful things that I believe we've learned from the council model over the last couple of years, regardless of whether we stick with it or whether we adapt it, and so whatever happens, that's a conversation for next year where we will discern together. But one of the processes, I believe, is that it's taught us how to better engage with the Spirit and let the Spirit lead our mind. One of the things, and it's happened about three times in, in, in these different council meetings, we've all come in and we've talked for an hour. And we've brought our opinions and our thoughts and the opinions and the thoughts for others and gone, that's quite good, I like that, that's a good thought, that's a, yes, we should you know, put all these things together. And then we go, okay, let's stop and pray for three minutes. And in three minutes, so we've just talked for an hour, and in three minutes, Jesus comes in. I literally set a timer for three minutes. I mean, I just want you to wait, and I want you to ask God for words now that he would speak into what we've just put on the table. Three minutes later, we took what we put on the table, we threw it out. <laughs> because God had very clearly spoken through about seven different words to different people in the room. And we went, it is very clear what the Spirit of God is saying. And we have made a decision in this moment. We've been looking at this because we've been tempted to engage with our mind without being led by the Spirit. And actually, if God is the author of the dream, then he's the author of the plan. If I can trust God, here's something for you. If you want to write something down, you want to put something on Instagram or your Twitter or write it on your car or put it on your mirror so you see it. If God can trust you with the dream, you can trust him with the provision. I say it again for the people in the back. If God can trust you with the dream, you can trust him for the provision. And so we see this, and we, we see this again and again and again. And so the result, uh, we haven't sent this email out yet, but just to preempt you, the result is by the time we got to the end, and it was very clear, to the point that I asked the question, I said to the council, are we saying that God is telling us that we are not supposed to embody this as it is, but actually we're supposed to 
amend this document and not cut Sue's hours at all. And the room gave a resounding unanimous yes. And you go, that was not the plan we made. It was not the plan Sue made as the head of the finance team. And I turned to her and I said, are you satisfied that the mind of Christ has been found here? And she went, yeah, I am. <laughs> so this, like, we all do this, right? And, and here's the encouraging part. Here's something else for your, for your whiteboard or for your mirror. Uh, we can trust God even when our plans aren't quite right. See, because the Bible says the mind of a man prepares his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so in this space, God brought us and said, I love the planning you're doing with your mind, but what would it look like if it was submitted to my spirit? What would it look like if you remembered the things that I said? What would it look like if you remembered the, 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 the word of the spirit that came through about the importance of hospitality? What would it look like? Do you know, remember back to 2018, that conversation cafe? Remember I said those 20 items that we gave people and we asked people to put them in order? The top four, the number one at every table was adequately paid staff. And so, so, again, Sam Sherman at that point hit us and went, if God said that, why are you? you go, yes, okay, I need another hour. I've, just, I've not quite finished licking the wounds from my last. Like, you know, like you come out of these places, as I say, physically draining. But you go, oh, we engaged with the Spirit. And there is nothing more exciting than leaving a room, leaving a moment, leaving a meeting, leaving a church service, leaving a house, leaving a, going, I was engaged with the things of God today. See, let me make this about Christmas now with the time I've got left. See, if our mind is not led by the Spirit, then we will miss what God is doing. Peter had a revelation by the Spirit, but because his mind wasn't led, he was missing what Jesus was doing right in front of him. Jesus is telling him something, and he's so caught up in how that affects him that he misses what God is doing. And in the midst of that, the Pharisees were so caught up with like serving religion, they missed what God was doing. God in the flesh among them, and they didn't recognize him. But, see, if, if, if that's true, then let's flip the coin. See, if our mind is not led by the Spirit, we'll miss what God is doing. But if your mind is led by the Spirit, then you will capture what God is doing. Because we have the mind of Christ. Because God reveals it by His Spirit. And to show you, let me pull straight out of the nativity story. Luke chapter 2. Verse 25 to 35. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. Simeon. See, Simeon's who I'd love to be in the Bible, but I'm Peter. I'm a Peter aspiring to be a Simeon. Although, you know, things worked out all right for Peter. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. He was led by the Spirit. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He hadn't worked it out in his brain. He hadn't watched a number of YouTube clips and gone, I've got this sorted. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Moved by his mind. Moved by the Spirit. 
he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to him, to do for him what the custom of the law required. (laughs) That is the funniest sentence ever. Because it is completely down. Do you know what you took your child to the temple? If you had a boy, you took your child to the temple to do what the law required. <laughs> right? That's, I'll leave it at that. You can work out the rest. And so, so it comes to the, and it says, <laughs> brought in child, the child Jesus for, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword too will pierce your own soul. I love that it says Simeon blessed her with all of that. You go, thank you. I am deeply encouraged and so glad I came to church this morning. <laughs> but see, Simeon, by the Spirit, perceived what God was doing so that when the Son of God was in his hands. Now, the Bible is very clear that there was nothing about Jesus' physical appearance that distinguished him from anyone else. So he didn't look at him and go, no, he's got that marker like a lightning bolt on his foot. No, wrong book. Um, He's got that thing on his There was nothing about his physical appearance. But because Simeon was led by the Spirit, he held this child, looked into his eyes. He said, I've seen your salvation. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. When our mind is led, when we are led, when the church is led, when our budgets are led, when our staff are led, when our mission is led, when our fellowship is led, when our discipleship is led by the Holy Spirit, we will discern and see what God is doing. Let me make this real practical right as we end, okay? Because the question becomes, how do I become more engaged with the Spirit? Like if I just tell you this and you go away going, I want to be more engaged with the Spirit, but I don't tell you how to do it. You just go like, it sounds good. But then you do a Peter and by this afternoon you've forgotten all about it. You've said the wrong thing. and you, you know. How do we be engaged more? Here's four things. Number one, Romans chapter 8 verse 9. Is Christ in you? Remember Paul said, You discern by the Spirit because Christ is in you if you are indeed of Him. So the first question is, is Christ in you? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you submitted to Him and said, you are the ruler, the sovereign authority of my life? Jesus, you are my King. This is the first step, the most simple step. 
to being led by the Spirit. Secondly, are you conscious of your dissonance? Are you conscious of your cognitive dissonance where you believe one thing and behave another way? It's one of the most uncomfortable things for me this week is that I had to be made aware of some of my dissonance, where I was saying one thing and then doing something else, where my spirit was declaring one thing, but my mind was plotting a different course. Are you aware of your dissonance? Because if you can become aware of your dissonance, then you can wrestle with it. Where are you living in a life in a way that is actually inconsistent with what the Spirit revealed to you? Where are you like Peter? You've had the promise. You've had the revelation. You know what God wants. You know what God said. You know what you've been called to do. But there's a dissonance in how you're stressing, planning, or believing for it. Is Christ in you? Are you conscious of your dissonance? Are you wrestling with your dissonance? Third one is this. Make time. And, and when I say make time, like it's that simple. As I said, we talked for 60 minutes. We prayed for three. God did more in three minutes than what we could have done in 60. That 60 wasn't wasted time because there were things in it that came out. In that. But like sometimes we go, I've got to have this like retreat. I've got to have like all, all my life. It's like if you could find five minutes and say, God, you know, the next time you're faced with a problem at work, the next time you're faced with a problem with your kids, the next time you're faced with something, you know, take, I just need five. Just go, God, I know what I was going to do. What would you do? Because if I do what I was going to do, someone's going to jail. <laughs> and I believe that maybe you have a better plan. <laughs> right? God, what would you do? Am I being led by the Spirit? I know what you've spoken. I know what your heart is. Is my action in line with that? Make the time. It might take longer than three minutes, especially while you're developing the practice. And don't go, I made the time 20 years ago. You never grow past the bread and butter of your faith. Finally, number four, how do, how do we find the mind of Christ? How are we led by the Spirit? The answer is together. Paul has this powerful statement, which is what it means to be Baptist in many ways. I love it. It's this, he says, we have the mind of Christ. This is, this is the beautiful thing, is that actually Jesus says, where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. We together have the mind of Christ. If you want to discern, if you want to grow, if you want to experience, if you want to be led by the Spirit, you cannot do it on your own. Some people just go, I got Jesus, me and Jesus, that's all I need. Jesus would say otherwise. Jesus says, I've given you a part and I've given them a part. And here's like, he, you know what Jesus will really do just to grind your gears? just to make you grow because that's discipleship. He'll give the piece of the puzzle that you're missing to the person you don't like. <laughs> right? <laughs> He'll give the piece of the puzzle to the person you are least likely to want to hear it from. Why? Because God wants you to engage with fellowship. If you, here's the thing. If you want to engage in discipleship in 2023, you cannot do it without engaging with fellowship. If you want to engage with the Spirit in 2023, you cannot do it without your church. And I don't say that as a legalistic thing. I say it because Jesus designed it that way. That's why Paul says, don't forsake gathering together. That's why the Bible says, iron sharpens iron. You want to live by the Spirit, you have to live with people, including the ones you don't like. <laughs> including the ones that just, they're like sandpaper. 
They're just great on you. And you go, Jesus, why is this person in my life? And Jesus goes, that is the question I've been waiting for you to ask. But will you listen for the answer? How do we be led by the Spirit? Number one, is Christ in you? Number two, can you recognize your dissonance? Are you humble enough to go, I don't get this right? Number three, are you making time? And number four, are you meeting with others? Because these are the places that the people, that people who are led by the Spirit are found. May we be like Simeon this Christmas, who gather around Christmas, who gather around our tables, who gather around our lunch and our not roasts. We're happy with, because it's not what it's about. Led by the Spirit, not by the mind, not by my stomach. <laughs> I'm playing on it for comical effect. I'm, I'm okay, really. But may we be people like Simeon, who discern Christ at the table, who discern Christ in the family meeting, who discern Christ in the one you don't like, and may we be people who are led by the Spirit and let the Spirit govern our mind. And may we re-engage with the Spirit, with discipleship, with fellowship, with the mission of God. And may the fruit of that be glory to Jesus Christ this Christmas. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. I hope this has encouraged you. As I say, it's the simplest truths in our lives that we often are the first to drop. But go this week and, and focus on being Spirit-led. And uh, if you'd like prayer, this area is open. You can come and, and myself or one of the elders, uh, or one of our team would love to pray with you. Uh, if not, tea and coffee is served in the other building and you might just be led by the Spirit if you go over there. Uh, it's just coffee that we've got for sale. Uh, but yeah, Laura? There you go. If you are looking for something to do with over Christmas and you haven't got family here or, or, or plans have changed or whatever, have a chat to Laura because they've got an open house and they would love to host you this Christmas. Um, amen. All right, God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon. Go grab a tea and a coffee. Grab your children uh, if you have brought them this morning. If you haven't, do not grab anyone's children. Uh, go home without them. Uh, and have a wonderful afternoon, and we will see you next Sunday. No, we will see you on Tuesday night, 6.30, to pray for the people of Karakunda, and then we'll see you on Sunday on Christmas Day, 10 a.m. Amen.